This is the gospel of the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. June 25th, 1530 is a red-letter day for Lutherans. On that day, the Augsburg Confession, the chief confession of the Lutheran churches, was brought forth and confessed, read to, and given to Emperor Charles of the Holy Roman Empire. You had the Lutheran theologians and princes gathered there together at Augsburg to defend this doctrine that they had been teaching and preaching and hearing in their churches. And when it was even talked about of taking away their German translations of the Bible, some princes went before the emperor, knelt down and said, we would rather have our heads cut off and have the word of God taken from us. Indeed, Reformation Day, we celebrate the fact that we are Protestant, but today we are celebrating this specific fact that we are Lutherans. We are Lutherans following of the teachings of Dr. Martin Luther, who rediscovered the gospel so clear in the Holy Scriptures after it had been suppressed for so many years. Today is the day we celebrate that we are saved by grace through faith, for the sake of Jesus Christ and his blood alone. This is a day worth celebrating, worth taking a break, as it were, from the green season of Trinity, our church here, to set aside to mark what we are and what we have, the gospel of the free forgiveness of sins. We are not bound by traditions, not bound by bishops or popes or councils, but we are bound by God and his word. But there are more things for us to celebrate today than just the Augustana, the Augsburg Confession. Forty-nine years ago, the Supreme Court in our country did the unthinkable. The unthinkable not just for Christians, I want to make that very clear, but the unthinkable for any human being. I'm talking about Roe versus Wade, Supreme Court decision which legalized abortion in all 50 states of our country. And for anyone with an unseared conscience, the undoing of that wicked law on Friday has been a hope, a prayer, and a goal which we have now seen achieved. God's word says so clearly, you have to squint not to see it for how clear it is. Don't murder. Don't take innocent life. Yes, there are situations we know that killing is indeed justified, a self-defense of capital punishment, and when it's just, a war. But taking innocent life, life which has done no harm to anybody but inconvenienced them and their plans for their own life, that's an abomination to the God that we worship. And that is exactly what Roe v. Wade codified in our laws for these 50 years. With very few limitations, it has been perfectly legal for a mother to kill her unborn child in her womb. But all of that changed on Friday. I cannot believe it. I can't believe I get to give this sermon as a pastor. I can't believe that we get to mark this day. Though the fight, the whole fight is not over, it's no longer, we're no longer living on the absurd pretense that it is a right enshrined in the Constitution for someone to have an abortion. And what we're going to see over the next several weeks, months, and years is States legislating one way or the other what they're going to do in their own state concerning this issue. Yes, wicked states will still allow it. Unfortunately, we all know ours is one of them. And, of course, 
wicked companies are going to subsidize it. If you've been watching the news, there have been plenty of the big companies that saying, if you live in a state where you can't have one, we as a company are going to pay for you to go to a state where you can have one. But fortunately, we're also going to see this. Many states will stop it. They will put an end to it, in part or hopefully even in whole. And dear Christians, that's a cause for celebration. That's a day worth marking, a day worth noting, a day worth singing praises to our God. But celebrating is not the only reason I'm bringing this up today. Today for us, as Christians, this needs to be a day of repentance. And it needs to be a day of repentance in three ways. In the first place, insofar as any of us here, or listening to my voice on a recording later, has sympathy for the champions of abortion, of the pro-choice cause, I tell you, as your pastor, you must repent. God's commandment is not ambiguous. It is so very clear, and there is no room for this, no room to hold that this is, in a certain cases even, a good thing. And so, if that describes you, go to your Lord tonight and ask His forgiveness, and ask His help to come to a better understanding of Him and His will so clearly laid out in His Word. In the second place, we must repent in this. It is always easy for people, Christians or otherwise, to look at other folks that are worse than them and then take comfort that we're not that bad. I might have thoughts of anger sometimes, but I've never murdered anybody. I might have done this, but I've never done that with that person who has done. We see, though, we see this mentality on display in the story of the prodigal son. Do you remember how it ends? The son realizes, the first son, his wickedness, or the younger son, his wickedness, he comes back and asks for forgiveness. His father receives him. They're having a celebration. But his older brother is indignant that he would be shown such mercy. Indignant that he would be celebrating this vagabond, wasteful, useless son coming back, not realizing how worthless he himself was, too. How he himself needed that grace that the father was showing to the younger son. But there is a third way in which we need to repent, and this is kind of the big one. We need ourselves to repent of our own soft or hidden pro-choice attitudes and decisions in our lives. It's tempting for us to think that just because we, collectively as a church body, or we as individuals are on the pro-life side of things, because we think that abortion is wrong morally and is a sin, that we are then categorically on the right side of things. But friends, it is not that simple. We can be against the crass manifestations of a sin, but still kind of okay with the subtle manifestations of it. The example I thought of was think about somebody who would never ever hold up a store at gunpoint and steal money or possessions from somebody else, but day after day he's lazy at his work, never putting a full day's work in, but only when the boss is there pretending to work, okay? He is still stealing just because he's doing it by laziness not outright stealing and theft, doesn't make it any better. And that's what we are doing if we say we are pro-life, but if for a couple of examples, number one, 
we're okay with in vitro fertilization. Many people kind of think, well, that's just a scientific way that advancements have brought for us to have children, overlooking the fact, or maybe even not even being aware of this fact, that many eggs are fertilized. And once the one takes, the person has implanted in her uterus, if she only wants one, the rest of those fertilized embryos, which we believe are human lives, are left in the freezer, eventually to be thrown away in the trash. And indeed, if we are pro-life, say we are pro-life, but we take active measures to prevent, the to prevent the conception of children in our own homes and marriages, in our own families, indeed we are off. A pastor I know put it this way, can you imagine if a company came out with a product, a chemical, or a device which took the pleasure and the intimacy out of the marital act? How do you think that would sell? How many people would adopt it? You'd be laughed out of the boardroom where you proposed the idea. But there's an entire industry built into taking the possibility of conception out of that same act. And for, I don't know how many years, Christians have embraced it with open arms, and we've celebrated and said it's just another choice that you make. People ask sometimes, what happened to the kids? Why are our schools empty? Why are our towns empty? Why is our church empty? It's empty because we didn't have them. It's empty because we chose not to have them. The fact of the matter is, when it comes to the pro-choice issue, I'll say it. Pro-choice people who are overtly pro-choice, they do have not just a speck, but a log in their eye. And we have a log in ours. It's a little smaller, but we treat it as a speck when in fact it is a log. And so what's the solution for this? What is the solution for Christians who love the Lord God and his creation and love Jesus Christ, their Savior, and the Holy Spirit who has given us faith? Is the solution for us to double down on the decisions that we made in the past, whether it's five years ago, five minutes ago, or 50 years ago? Is it to find a church which just talks about these issues in a way which affirms me and what I already believe and want to believe and have already done? Is it to tell the pastor that you're offended by a sermon? No, the solution is what it always is for any sin. It's to repent to trust in Jesus Christ and his forgiveness. Just as Jesus Christ died for every woman who has had an abortion, every doctor who has performed them, and every father or grandfather who has paid for them, he has died for our sins too. We have a beautiful Savior. He forgave Moses and David who murdered before they were what they were as leaders of Israel, and yes, he forgives us too. So friends, Let's trust in his forgiveness. And in that trust, let us also do our best to walk in his ways, accepting from him the things that he says are blessings and accepting from things that, that he has afforded to himself and his will to withhold or to give, as many or as few as they are. In Jesus' name, amen.